above historic Belfont, and still in the smack dab center of the Keystone State, this is Lou Bryson with Seen Through a Glass, the podcast that's mostly about drinking in central Pennsylvania. Welcome to episode 23, Gut Essa in Nittany Valley. I didn't go very far this time, it's just northeast of Belfont into Nittany Valley. It's a beautiful area, another one of the valleys in central PA, a gift to the Appalachians, or Appalachians if you prefer. The latter's a more southern pronunciation, but either is considered correct. Or either, if you prefer, because again, both are correct. Sorry, I can always sidetrack myself with words, but you came for the Pennsylvania. I've loved this part of the state since I was a little boy. My father was a high school earth sciences teacher, and every trip we took to central PA from our home in Lancaster County was an opportunity to learn about fossils, coal formation, and the folded ridges and valleys that make this area a classic geology textbook discussion. I don't remember when I first saw a topographical map of the area, but it still thrills me to see the convoluted ridges and narrow gaps from above. No exaggeration, I said it thrills me, and it honestly does. I have Google Maps set to the terrain setting on my phone just for the sheer pleasure. Try it. You'll have a new appreciation for what you're driving through. My father and my uncle hunted deer on the Cumberland-Perry County line, on the ridges north of Newville, PA. My dad was always proud of one deer that he had shot from Cumberland County across the line into Perry County. Looking at that topographical map, he had reason to be proud. That's a damn steep ridge to climb. Think about these ridges. None of them are very high in absolute terms, but they represented a steep and all but impenetrable barrier to travel in the days of horse-drawn transport. Even the rivers were forced to wind between them, often with very little space on either side and with barely navigable rapids over stubborn ridges of rock. Today, it's much easier. Even where we have to climb over the ridges, like where Route 322 crests over Long Mountain, all it costs us is a few digits off our gas mileage. And living here means that I can enjoy the vista of seemingly never-ending ridges, blanketed in trees that stretch away into the hazy distance. I love the way you can watch the flake-blurred front of a snowstorm gliding down the valley toward you from miles away, or look through a gap at the lightning-legged march of a thunderstorm along an adjacent valley. And each of the valleys has its own personality, its own feel. I'm going to take you out through Nittany Valley to visit a butcher, a brew pub, and a country inn that's been open for almost 200 years, and we'll talk to an Amish cheesemaker who sells cheese to high-end restaurants in D.C. and Philly. We're going to get to all of that, but first, here's what I'm drinking today. I'm drinking two drinks today, a rye and a bourbon, both from Evan Hill, and I'll explain why as I go. The first up is the new Parker's Heritage Collection, 17th edition, a cask-strength straight rye whiskey, bottled at 10 years old and 128.8 proof. The Parker's Heritage whiskeys celebrate the late Parker Beam, Master distiller at Heaven Hill for decades, and a good friend of mine. The whiskeys in the series have been experimental, classic, or super-aged, and almost uniformly excellent. This one is a classic, a rare cask-strength rye from Heaven Hill. As always, a substantial part of the price of each bottle goes to ALS Research, the disease that took Parker from us. Let's have a taste. Well, we'll start with a sniff. Oh my. Um, I mean, you can... You can smell the the age and the wood right away. It's uh, wow. You can also smell the proof. 
I don't think I'm going to have any nose hairs left after this. Uh, wow. Um, herbal. A little uh, minty. Big notes of uh, furniture polish and oak from the from the barrel. Wow, and some uh, some candy notes as well. Uh, quite a bit of sweetness there. Um, I always get this uh, thing from these older Heaven Hill whiskeys that reminds me of a a fairly spicy hard candy my grandmother used to keep. Let me taste it. That's definitely 128.8. It's hot, but it's not fiery. Uh, it was fairly easy to hold on my tongue. And those notes in the aroma largely are present on the palate. There's no surprises here. It's zesty. It's lively. Um, the 10-year-old isn't, isn't really uh, creating it up in wood, as it were. I'm going to add a little bit of water here. Uh, just to see how that goes. Mm. A sweeter nose now. More grass rather than mint. Mm. Now the corn is coming out in the rye as well. This is uh, a uh, Kentucky rye mash bill. Um, it's only 51% rye. I think I have the... I don't have the numbers here. Uh, but it is 51% rye uh, and quite a bit of corn, and adding a little bit of water brings that corn up. Wow, there's a lot going on there. The finish lingers, uh, really gives you those fresh rye notes in the finish, uh, especially for a 10-year-old. Really good whiskey. Thing is, it's also a very limited release, which doesn't appear to be available in the PA state stores at all, even as a lottery item. And the suggested retail is $185. Honestly, listening to this is likely as close as you'll get. I got a sample, um, and the next one is a sample. I get a lot of whiskey samples. But that's why I'm tasting this second whiskey, the bourbon. It's something you should actually be able to find. This is the last 2023 release of Elijah Craig Barrel Proof, the C923 release. It's going to be available soon at a suggested retail of $75. It's bottled at an age of 13 years, 7 months, and uh, wow, yeah, at a proof of 133.0. Not quite hazmat whiskey, but close. Now, Parker Beam had nothing to do with the selection of this bottling, but he was very much the master distiller when it was laid down in early 2010. So this is maybe even more of a memorial to Parker than the first one was, especially because Parker always liked bourbon better. Let's have a sip. Wow. Uh, surprisingly, at 133 proof, this nose is actually less hot than the one before. It's actually sweet and mellow. Mm, and everything you'd expect in a in a Heaven Hill bourbon. There's the the wood notes, and like I said this is at 13 years, so no shame in the wood. But there's also plenty of corn. No mango, which is a private joke. <laughs> Parker always said he never smelled any of that stuff in his whiskey. He made it with corn and aged it in oak, and when he drank it, he tasted corn and oak. <laughs> God bless him. Let's try it. Wow, you know, for 133, 
that's pretty straight up drinkable. Just a, a huge amount of um, corn and oak. I and I hate to sound like I'm Parrot and Parker, but wow, he would have liked this whiskey. It is, um, I suspect, from the proof and the age uh, from the higher floors of one of the warehouses, uh, which was always his favorite place. Uh, he, they were high and dry whiskeys, as he called them. And it is, mm, wow. If you knew of Parker Beam, if you liked Heaven Hill whiskeys that Parker Beam made, this one is... This is the most Parker Bean bourbon I've tasted in a while. This is exactly the kind of thing he liked. I like it too. I am going to enjoy drinking this bottle with friends. Because that always makes whiskey better. Ah, two big barrel-proof whiskeys. Whew! This puts me in the mood for a more relaxing drink. And on a day like this, clear, crisp, and comfortable, my mind turns to the back deck at the Hublersburg Inn for a carefully selected draft beer or a brilliantly individual cocktail under the sky and the huge maple tree out back. At least, I think it's a maple tree. The inn is probably the worst kept secret in Nittany Valley. <laughs> you wouldn't think a place this far out in the valley in a little village of about 20 houses surrounded by farms and woods would be this well known. But the Hulersburg Inn has been at this since 1827. Plenty of time for a reputation to build. They do a very good business in the Valley and from State College in Belfont. It's actually been an inn or rooming house for almost that whole time too, except for a few years in the 1920s. The inn was built to service the traffic between Bullsburg and Hecla Furnace, an iron and limestone furnace near where the Nittany Country Club is today, the site of Hecla Park. The inn, formerly called the Hublersburg Hotel, was in the Hubler family for quite a while, but now it's owned and run by Andy Height, former manager at the Gamble Mill in Belfont, and she's put a lot into the place. There are three legs to the appeal of the Hublersburg Inn. There's a very popular live music series in the summer, and Kathy and I have been several times. Center County has a rich music scene with great local performers, and you'll see them at the inn. The food is outstanding and leans heavily on local producers, as I'm recording this, they're getting ready for a chef's dinner with food and drink from 23 different local producers, including Goudessa Cheese, Elk Creek Cafe Beer, Big Spring Spirits, Seven Mountains Wine Cellars, and Fasta Ravioli, which have all been featured on the podcast. The chef's dinners are legendary. And of course, there's the drink. The first time I stopped in, a few years ago, I was very impressed by the varied tap list, and then even more impressed by the quick but intense interview bartender Betty Toth did to find what beer I was going to want right then. She knew her taps, and she zeroed in on two beers I'd probably like, and she was right. I was even more impressed the next time we were in. It was a music night, and they were slammed. I had to wait almost 15 minutes to get a drink, but when it was my turn, the bartender's attention was palpably focused on me. She made suggestions, got my drink, made sure I was good with it, and moved on efficiently. And the drink, a gin cocktail made especially for that evening with lemon and fresh blackberries, was delicious. I've never been to the Hublersburg Inn without enjoying myself. In fact, I like this place so much that I'm planning to sit down with Andy and her bar manager for an interview in the future. Stay tuned for that. A cocktail episode is coming. I did mention that they were serving Gutessa cheese at the chef's dinner, and that it's been featured on the podcast. 
That's a little bit of a misstatement. Gudessa hasn't been featured yet, but the time has come. I have an interview for you with John Esch, the proprietor of Gudessa. Gudessa is Pennsylvania Dutch for good eating or good eats and all that entails. Reminds me of the old National Bohemian beer tagline from the land of pleasant living. Because while Gudessa is a cheese making business, they also have apple butter, jellies, fudge, crackers, and meats, including a country ham called Appalachian Schinken that's quite good. John Ash is Amish, and this is an Amish business. I don't have a lot of pictures of it for that reason. I grew up in Amish country, and I'm respectful of their wishes for no photographs. But I have to say, Gutessa has one of the best business websites I've seen in quite a while, and definitely one of the best of all the businesses I've covered on Seen Through a Glass. Not only do they have online ordering with descriptions of each item, they have the sources for the milks that go in the cheeses, the favorite cheeses of each person who works at the business, and even food and beer pairing suggestions for each type of the cheese. Whoever did the pairings knows their beer, too. It was a gorgeous day in Nittany Valley when I drove up the long lane to John Esch's farm, golden sunlight pouring down onto the forested ridge to the south and a crisp breeze blowing in my car window. As usual, when I walked in the door, young Amish women were busy in the cheesemaking room, cleaning equipment that looked pristinely clean already. John greeted me and shook my hand, and we went up to a quiet storeroom to do the interview. He says this was his first interview, but as you'll hear, he was very measured and thoughtful. You'll enjoy this. Hey, I'm here with John Esch of Good Essa. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you, Lou. And you? I'm pretty good. I mean, it's a gorgeous day. <laughs> it sure is. Beautiful. So you um, you make cheese, among other things. I mean, mostly you're making cheese. How long have you been making cheese? We started making cheese in 2001. So we've been doing it for about 22 years. So we're just we're just getting started compared to what the <laughs> Europeans have been doing it for centuries, and we're just we're just getting into it. But we're having a great time. That's good. That's good. Uh, you're you're here in uh, in Nittany Valley. Have you always lived here? Did you move here? I was born in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Moved when my parent when I moved with my parents when we when I was 10. Mm. Uh, so yes, we love the mountain country here in Happy Valley. Cheese. What, how did you come to make cheese? How did we come to make cheese? Well, the dairy nutritionist that we were working with for quite a long period of time, he would help us with our cows and determine what we need to be feeding our cows and how to get that balanced so that uh, uh, everything is balanced well. He kept asking, what are you going to do to keep your family on the farm? How are you going to do it, John? I work with herds that milk thousands of cows, and I, I realize you want to stay with maybe 75 or 80 cows, which is a very small herd, but how will you do that economically? So he challenged us to think outside of the box and think, what else could we be doing with our product? We knew we had a good product, milk, uh, fresh and, and a very wholesome uh, high-quality milk. So we, we thought about it for a while. We said, let's let's get into cheese making. And that's where we started the cheese making process. We partnered with a cheese maker, an Amish cheese maker in Lancaster County, who had learned how to make cheese from his father. Okay. And we started with that. And uh, he taught us how to make cheese. And we started with the uh, cheddar and the uh, a wash curd cow, some flavored cheddars. And as the market grew for us, we got into some restaurants, and the restaurants kept saying, you know, we really need European-style cheeses. 
And that's why we built a cave here on the farm and uh, focused on the European style cheeses, cheeses with a natural rind. Uh, the restaurant chefs were saying they really would like to buy that type of cheese locally rather than have it imported from across the pond. Mm, okay. Is is there a, a, you said you learned from an Amish cheese, is there an Amish tradition of cheese making? Not very robust. Uh, okay. I think my ancestors probably did, but did not necessarily make a business out of it. So this is kind of a first generation business for us. Okay. I, you have a great website. And, and one of the things I, uh, I wanted to mention was that you, know, and you, you talk about where your milk comes from. And, and I mean, you're getting all the cow's milk from your farm or? Yes. Okay. All of the cow's milk comes from our farm. We have 75 cows that my wife and I and our children milk and take care of. Uh, and then the uh, sheep's milk comes from my daughter, uh, her husband, and their son. They have a farm about 20 miles from here, and they supply the sheep's milk. And then the goat's, goat's milk comes from a farm out towards Tyrone, about 40 miles from here. Another young Amish family who have and take care of the goats for us. Okay. So you, so you are using all three of those, obviously, yeah. Three Cal species. Again, the chefs at these restaurants really wanted, <laughs> they said, you know, we want, we want uh, sheep's milk, we want goat's milk cheese, and we want cow's milk cheese. Oh, and by the way, we want different intensities. We want some that's <sighs> mild, we want some that's medium, and we want some that's very intense. And we also want different textures for the cheese plates that they're building. They oh, want right. soft okay. textured cheese. They want uh, a firm textured cheese. So that's where the chefs really uh, gave us the direction uh, that we now have taken uh, by building these types of cheeses. And and where are these restaurants? I mean, I assume they started in Center County. Are they... The Mid-Atlantic region. Okay. Uh, we have a number in State College, and then we get down into Washington, D.C., Northern, Northern Virginia. We have a number of restaurants we work with, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh. The pandemic was quite a challenge, as we know, with the restaurants. Mm. We went from working with 75 restaurants and overnight dried up to about five. Wow. And we're now back up to about 30, 32 restaurants at this point. Okay. And they, they are expressing quite a bit of interest right now. There seems to be, you know, it's it's a movement towards people are eating out more again. And uh, we are seeing an uptick in the restaurant business currently. I, I uh, remember I did see your cheese at... Um... Center Wedge in Carlisle Cheese Shop uh, that I visited when I did the Carlisle episode. And that was, you know, it almost felt like a touch of home at that point. <laughs> it was nice to see you there. Um, also on the website, and I'm talking again about the farmers, you mentioned that uh, buying direct from those farmers gets them a higher price for their milk. How, how does that work? Well, the way that works is we, we've cut out some of the middleman. In other words, we bring it directly here, we make the cheese with it, and then we work directly with our restaurants, our wineries that we work with, so that we've cut out the middleman. We've also, uh, we're producing a specialty product, so uh, specialty products in general command a bit more of a premium, and we pass that premium on to the farmer. Oh, okay, great. And again, that kind of segues into the next question. Your, your cheeses are very good. Um, people have mentioned and, and even I see it they're they're not I mean they're not a commodity cheese they're not they're not cheap can you tell people about the the value in the in the goudas of cheeses yes uh, basically the value really comes from well you start with a good fresh high quality product 
but we do small batches here. Everything is made in small batches, made by hand, and after the cheese is made, it takes about six hours to make a batch of cheese. Uh, we then put it in the brine tank. We we leave it in the brine tank overnight. Then it goes on the wooden shelves in our cheese cave. We have three different cheese caves here. Oh, my, oh. Where we have different okay. uh, different cheeses that we store on. But these cheeses are not just vacuum sealed and put on a shelf. They get uh, they get taken care of daily for the first two months, and then after that we turn them weekly. And we just there's, is that what we're talking about when you say yes. daily? You turning them so they don't what so they don't sag or uh, don't sag. It's also so that uh, they uh, in the process of turning we will also treat them with a little bit of vinegar, and that helps with the um, with keeping uh, unwanted insects off of the cheese. This is not a vacuum sealed process. This is a natural rind. So this is the old world, the European style. So. You know, it's it's the process of uh, it's inside the cave. Everything is everything is clean. It's a concrete structure and all that. But we all know that little insects have a way of finding their way where food is, and that is a challenge that we have ongoing with the cheese cave. It's a little insect called a cheese mite. Really? And that's spelled M-I-T-E. Uh -huh. It's a very tiny insect, but by spraying these wheels of cheese on a regular basis. Um, that helps keep that insect under control. Wow. But a lot of time, a lot of labor, a lot of love. And the process also is not rushed. In other words, uh, there's there's companies out there who make cheese and they turn it around and are selling it like 60 days later. Most of our cheeses we age for about a year. Oh. And the process of having it just age very slowly, the way nature intended, takes a lot of time. Uh, but in the process, we do have you know, we do have our investment tied up. But at the end of the day, it's all about value for the customer, and the customer sees the value in it. They they taste the cheese, and they realize it doesn't take much cheese. It goes a long ways. Mm -hmm. So as a as a rule, you know, customers are very happy because they see the value in the cheese. You sell other things uh, than cheese. You have uh, there's condiments, jams, pickles, meats. Some of the meats are, are made elsewhere. I think, are you still selling stuff that Mark's has, Mark's customers? Yes. Yes, just yes. up the valley. Um, but you, you do you make any of the meats yourself? We do not make the meats here. Okay. And that's uh, that's uh, food safety purposes, um, uh, the, the different licenses that will be, re be required. We're very fussy about food safety here, making sure all of the uh, licenses are up to date and the inspector comes every three months and inspects everything. So that's that's a big deal that uh, uh, that we follow all the regs um, and make sure that and, and for example, meat uh, takes a different type of uh, food safety plan and so you'd it, have to have it, a whole separate facility. For yes, that. Okay. yes, and it doesn't fit. Now I, I had to check because it just it does seem every time I come here um, and I, mean, I I don't come every week, but been here more than once. It, it seems like every time I come in, somebody's washing something. Yes. Yeah, so that is correct. <laughs> we do make uh, jellies. My niece makes jellies. Mm -hmm. My wife, Anna Mary, makes the apple butter and the fudge. Okay. And uh, we, she has five kinds of fudge that she makes. And then uh, my daughter, uh, Sadie, who also has the sheep, they make mm -hmm. the mustards. Oh, oh, very nice. Good. I like the, the thing on the website where um, 
you go through the people in the company and they, they talk about uh, how they got to where they are and what they're like and, and then what, what cheese they like, which one of your cheeses they like. What, you have a favorite, I'm sure. I do. You know, for breakfast with uh, scrambled eggs and tomato, oh. uh, fresh tomatoes right out of the garden, a little bit of mayo on a toast, Mountain Valley Sharp Cheddar is my favorite for breakfast. <laughs> now for lunchtime, I like the old German on a sandwich. Mm -hmm. And in the afternoon or actually even in the morning with my coffee i like the gouda okay uh if we're having steak for dinner the blue cheese and then for a snack in the evening uh <laughs> am i losing you here Lou? no no i'm right with you right? <laughs> there is no one best cheese yeah, there's a the, lot of good cheeses. that's the point i also <laughs> if people ask me well what's your favorite cheese i ask them well how many children do you have there you go and which is your favorite <laughs> <laughs> That said, if someone's coming here for the first time, what what is the, the cheese they pick the most often? What is the one that you would offer them? That depends. If they're coming here to, to uh, shop for a Christmas gift, ah. and we do gift assortments here. We have a number of different gift assortments, a wide range of varieties. Um, and price you ranges. A, you have a monthly club too, don't you? We do have a monthly have a cheese subscription. Kind of yeah. So it depends on you know if the people come here and they're they're looking for a gift for a family member, uh, we'll steer them in one direction. If they're looking, uh, if they're hosting uh, a party or having friends over, and they really want something a bit special that gives us some direction there. I may go with well. Uh, if they're here, let's try the cheeses, and we'll see what you think. Smart. Uh, they may want uh, the Gouda. They may want the blue cheese. I've said before that I think every cheese plate should have a piece of blue on there, but uh, I realize some people don't appreciate blue. So it depends on what you're doing, who your audience is. If you're hosting a party, that's one thing. If you're just looking for something for yourself, you want something, a snack or something special for the weekend, you know, you get to pick, you get to sample uh, maybe 12 different cheeses here. You get to sample some of the jellies, and you can pick what you think fits the mood, what you're looking for. That's great. How, uh, how can people get, uh, I mean, they can come here to the farm. You're open Monday Every, through Friday? Monday through Saturday. Oh, okay. We are closed on Sunday, but uh -huh. Monday through Saturday we are open from 8 to 4. Okay. And they, they can also order through the website? They can, yes. There's a website. There's also a phone number. Uh, the website certainly has a lot of different options on there. Uh, if it's a business gift, you know, someone likes to do maybe 10 or 20 gift assortments and they can give us a call and we can walk through the process there. Uh, anyone can give us a call for that matter and place the order on the phone as well okay. if they don't want to do the uh, the website. Okay, great. That's all I've got. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. This was, this was fun, babe. That was fun. Yeah, it went really well. Thank you. You probably heard me ask John if he sold meats from Mark's Custom Meats at Gudessa. I was pretty sure I had seen a package of their snack sticks on the display case. Mark's is just up the road in Nittany, set back from Route 64 on the north side. There was a small shop, but everything's online or phone ordering now with a little drive through set up outside for pickup. Mark is Mark Bear, who started the business in 1994 with his wife Kim as a custom butcher shop serving the local area in both directions. The livestock comes from local farmers, and the meat was sold in bulk to Valley customers. 
Family members join the business, and a skilled group of meat cutters keeps it running. Eventually, the decision was made to add the small direct retail shop, but the pandemic made curbside pickup more appealing. It worked, and they stuck with that. The processing has grown to include specialty cuts of beef, lamb, and pork, fresh sausages, cured and smoked sausages, bacon and beef bacon, ham, snack sticks, and jerkies, chicken, and a variety of smoked cheeses. The meat at the drive-thru is vacuum-packed and deep-frozen, so bring a cooler. You can also find Mark's custom meats at local retailers. I'm fond of their dried beef when I can find it. Here's the real reason we're talking about Mark's custom meats on this podcast. They pledged that all the beef, pork, and lamb they sell was raised within 30 miles of the shop. Their website states that they have a zero-tolerance policy for inhumane treatment of animals at their own facility and at the farms where the animals are raised. And that's why I'll pay more for Mark's Meats. That's out at the northeast end of the valley. Snavely's Mill is out there too, a Pennsylvania-based and family-owned company that mills soft wheat and rye flowers. It's a big facility, and they're not open to the public, but give me time, I'll get there. Meanwhile, back at the other end of the valley, just outside of Belfont and Zion, is the Blonde Bistro Brew Works, the brewery I missed back in episode 14. Told you I'd get here. The Blonde is Sierra Simak, who's been cooking in the area for over 12 years, most recently running the in-house kitchen under the Blonde Bistro name at Axeman Brewery. The current Blonde Bistro was previously the old farmhouse brewery. I stopped in there last year with my buddy Sam Kumlenik not long before they closed, it turned out. The beers were okay. I was looking forward to trying the new beers. The place looks like a house from outside and fits right into the feel of Nittany Valley. Inside, there's a small squared bar with a set of taps that include five house beers, plus PA beers from Yingling, Trogues, and New Trail. They also have Pennsylvania wines and a nice cocktail list made with PA spirits. I'll admit, I didn't order anything from the menu because I was tight on time, but things like the lasagna dip sure did sound tasty. What I did do was order a flight of house beers, the Dark and Mild, IPA, Belgian Blonde, and Oktoberfest. I'll cut to the chase. I didn't care for the Oktoberfest. It was sweet and maybe touched with diacetyl, the brewing byproduct that smells like movie theater popcorn butter. But I really liked the Dark and Mild, which was deliciously malty, and the Belgian Blonde, which had that classic spicy Belgian yeast character. The IPA was okay, though it could have used more hop aroma. Sierra was very pleasant, even though she told me she usually didn't tend bar. I mean, she runs the place. She shouldn't be but she was a very friendly bartender. What she did say, which I liked to hear, was that they were open to suggestions and reasonable criticism about the beer. The brewer Johnny Weaver worked at the previous place, but, she told me, he wasn't allowed to do proper cleaning there. That can kill a brewery. I'm glad he's free to take care of it now. I'm optimistic about Blonde Bistro. Sierra has been working her magic in the valley for a while now. She'll be good here. That's Nittany Valley literally from farm to table. It's very much seen through a glass, with good food, good drinks, and good local people making them. These are the places that make Central Pennsylvania special. And now a very Central Pennsylvania reminder that I'll admit I'm pretty excited about seeing for the first time September 29th is Goose Day in the Juniata Valley. This is an 
unusual, if not unique, celebration that goes back hundreds of years to a tenant paying rent with a goose on September 29th, Michaelmas Day on the ecclesiastical calendar, which is supposed to be an English tradition, I think. Anyway, they get goosey with it in Mifflin County. Roast goose dinners, hell, there's goose pizza and goose poutine. You can get chili con ganso at Shy Bear Brewing. Goose egg donuts, goose poop candy, and all kinds of goose souvenirs. There's a bunch of blackberry stuff, too. Something about Lucifer landing in a blackberry bush when St. Michael cast him out of heaven. Hey, whatever. I love blackberries. This year is a first. They're putting on a Goose Day drone light show in Lewistown Recreational Park at 9.30 p.m. You know, it's a Friday night. I think I might go. You should come, too. Check out their Facebook page, Goose Day in the Junietta River Valley, for other events and more info on the drone show and follow the website link on the page to get all the events and details. See you in Mifflin County on the 29th. Now, the day after that is the Milheim Oktoberfest. I told you about it last time. So briefly, Milheim Fireman's Field, German food and music, Elk Creek's Oktoberfest beer, pay as you go, benefits the fire company, noon to five, be there, say hi if you see me. The following weekend, I'm going to miss the Mifflinburg Oktoberfest. But there's no reason why you should. They'll be pouring beers from Paul Honor, Spaten, Hockershore, the Francis Gunner Weissbeer, Hofbrau Oktoberfest and Dunkel, Warsteiner Dunkel, and hometown Rusty Rail Fest beer. Lots of food truck options, several German bands, plus stein hoisting, keg tossing, and the second annual Dachshund race. It's Friday and Saturday, October 6th and 7th, 1 to 10 and 11 to 10 respectively, at the Mifflinburg Community Park. There are quite a few ticketing options. My advice, go to the MifflinburgPA.com website and have a look. And pay the money and get the commemorative stein. They're really cool. If you can't wait all week for another Oktoberfest, X-Man has theirs on Monday, October 2nd from 5 to 10. Live music, German food, and yes, a stein holding contest because X-Man will serve you a big boy leader mug if you want one. Tickets are 10 bucks. Get them ahead of time at the X-Man website. Man, I love this time of year. It's like the beer holidays. That's the show. Thanks to John Ash for the interview. It's hard to believe that was your first podcast. You can find pictures of most of these places on Instagram at Stag Podcast and on Facebook at Seen Through a Glass, where you'll find pictures and links and ways to contact me. Please consider subscribing to get notice of new episodes. And if you like the show, please take a moment and drop a rating or review. Even better, tell your friends. Thanks. I do have a coffee button set up in my Instagram link tree, Twitter profile, both are at Lou Bryson, and at the Seen Through a Glass Facebook page and blog. If you like the show, rather than a paid subscription, this is an easy way to drop me a few bucks to help keep this going, pay for tips for bartenders, gas for the Subaru, and a couple of beers. Thanks to those of you who have already donated. You can always message me directly on social media to let me know what you liked on an episode, what could be improved, and what Central Pennsylvania drinks and food producers you'd like to hear from. You know those cheese mites John talked about? Turns out they're crucial to the production of aged Mimolette cheese. Just amazing. The next episode? Maybe the proliferation of coffee roasters in the area, and maybe a report on my first goose day. After that, well, we're driving to Colorado. And I think I'll have a major whiskey interview in the can when we come back. You'll like it. We'll also be going to the Hartslog Heritage Festival in Alexandria, PA, so 
we'll see what happens there. Until then, thanks for listening. This is Lou Bryson on Seen Through a Glass from the smack dab center of the Keystone State.